The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown to hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace, peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Raise your hand if you have ever been in a relationship with somebody before. Now, not, I know Valentine's Day is around the corner. I don't mean that. I mean, like, have you ever had a personal connection to another person ever in your life? Raise your hand. Yes, we all do this. Why? Because relationships are baked right in to the pie we call creation. It's a part of the recipe from the get-go. God begins by creating people to be in relationship with God and each other. Hence, Adam and Eve. But you see, God also admits and acknowledges right away that relationships sometimes can be complicated. Acknowledges that sometimes they don't go the way that we expect. Again, we need not look any further than the first few chapters of our Bible with Adam and Eve, whose relationship and trust with God is transgressed, which leads to them being kicked out of the garden. Instead of tilling, they start to toil in creation. And this relationship continues. It continues with the covenant relationship of the Israelites during their journey through the desert in the Exodus. On their way to the promised land, they make a covenant commitment, a relationship with God based upon 
the Ten Commandments, the Ten Rules, the Ten Laws, the Ten Best Ways to Live. And guess what? They don't always live up to expectations. A lot of the Exodus story is about how they fall short of these relational expectations, and yet, lo and behold, the people of God still arrive at the promised land. Even the relationships that unfold during the Gospels themselves are complex. The relationship between Jesus and his disciples is probably best described as complicated. Why? Because they are humans who fall short of expectations. They will end up, some of them, denying and others even betraying Jesus, betraying the very close relationship that they share. The point I'm trying to make is that relationships are a part of God's good creation. Relationships can be life-giving, but also relationships can be death-dealing. Being in relationship with people is not easy. It requires mutuality, it requires persistence, and it requires hard, hard work. And where we pick up today at the Sermon on the Mount, which we've heard unfold over the course of the last few weeks, we pick up as Jesus sort of is running into this portion about human relationships. The very last verse we heard last week ended like this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are as righteous as the most righteous, don't even bother. So today, Jesus is expounding upon that. He's showing us what does it look like to have this kingdom level of righteousness. What does it look like to be worthy of that which he is setting before us, before the disciples? And what it looks like is, well, a pretty bleak, or at the very best, difficult picture. You see, Jesus says, look, not murdering is easy, but now... I don't want you to be angry with each other. Not committing the physical act of adultery might be simple, but I don't even want your thoughts to wander. Now it's what's on your heart that'll matter too. I don't want you to just keep your oaths. I don't want you to make oaths at all because you should just immediately follow whatever it is that I, your God, ask of you. Don't waste your time with oaths. Just do what I say before I even say it. Leave this is a lot. But Jesus tells us previously, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. Jesus isn't replacing the Ten Commandments, he is intensifying their application, intensifying the relational aspects of them. He's viewing them through the lens of the kingdom of God and stressing for us the importance of relationships now, but also in that kingdom to come. And therein reminding us of the gap between God's expectations upon us and our relationships and the reality of our relationships. And we'll start with that idea of anger. Anger, Jesus says, doesn't have a place in the realm of God. Why? Because anger oftentimes is a relational wedge. Anger can drive people apart from each other. 
Jesus says in this kingdom, not only do we not want to be driven apart, but this kingdom is defined by the work of reconciliation, of, of pulling people back together in relationship with one another. The process of pursuing forgiveness. You know what process I don't like? The process of pursuing forgiveness. And I professionally forgive people all the time. But it's hard, right? It's hard to go to somebody and to forgive them. Perhaps even harder, it's going to somebody and asking for forgiveness. Why? Because it acknowledges that somewhere along the line, the relationship has been broken. That somewhere along the line, the intentions that we had at the beginning aren't the realities we experience now. It's the acknowledgement that something has to change if this relationship is to continue to live. This isn't about anger management. This is about managing our relationships. And the truth of the matter is this. Sometimes relationships die. And that is a hard reality to face but it is true of the human experience. Sometimes our relationships die, which is why today I remind you that even in death, we and Christ are a people of life, a people of resurrection, which throws us then to this idea that Jesus posits about divorce, relationship that has died. Before I go any further, I just wanna give you full disclosure. This is one of my least favorite texts. Because as a pastor, I'm being asked to come up and to share with you some sort of divine wisdom about the harsh realities of our world, about the pain of separation, of divorce, of families broken asunder. And I am woefully unequipped to do that work. So what I offer you today, what I offer you now, is a theological lens some way of, of pursuing this difficult text that perhaps brings you a deeper understanding and maybe, dare I say, even grace along the way. Because even as we talk about divorce, I think we have to always remind ourselves of grace. As a pastor, I have the honor, the joy, and privilege of working with young couples preparing to be married. In fact, some of you are here right now. You've seen that arduous process play out personally. And it is a process where we get to know each other, where we get to share our histories and our dreams for the future, where we talk about whose job is it to, to pick up the dirty laundry, or, or who's gonna do the dishes, all those real important things you gotta hash out. And, and all of the couples that I've worked with, not one couple I've ever sat with, has looked me in the eye and said, you know, Pastor, we're doing this now, but probably in three years, this ain't gonna be a couple anymore. We're gonna try it out, but you know, it's not gonna work out. Not one couple, at least in my experience, have I ever heard that from. Why? Because when we enter into the covenant of marriage, the expectation is that that will be a lifelong relationship. The hope is that when we come together in a covenant, just like our covenant with God, that it will be everlasting. The expectation is that our relationships will cause us to flourish and not languish. Yet, the reality we know is that that's gonna happen. And it's hard. I do enough of these, and I know the statistics to know 
that somewhere along the line, some of these relationships aren't going to work out how we intended. And it's painful, and it's difficult, and it's challenging, it's sad, it's, it's so many different feelings. Which is why I really appreciate our godly play story that deals with the law, that deals with the Ten Commandments. It's called the Ten Best Ways. And the way it handles this particular commandment, commandment number seven, they frame it as, do not break your marriage. Do not break your marriage. And I like that. But I like even more the way it expounds on it. It says, you know, when people get married, they think they will be married forever. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. No anger, no blame, just a recognition that sometimes relationships marriage or otherwise just don't work out and that that's okay it's hard but it's our reality certainly the reality for some 1.27 million americans who were divorced in the year 2020 and regardless of the reasons for those separations regardless of the reason of the death of that relationship it is a struggle a struggle that is real a struggle that is shared and in Jesus' time, unfortunately, the larger part of the burden fell on the shoulders of the women who were left with nothing as a result, who had no social or economic recourse, nowhere to turn when these things happen. So in some ways, as I hear Jesus give this difficult sermon, as he talks about a very real topic, whether it be now or 2,000 years ago, he's speaking in terms of justice. Justice for those who are disproportionately thrown aside as a result of a dying or dead relationship. He makes it clear that this is a tool that must be wielded only when there is no other tools that can help. And that, you see, is important. Because what God is also doing here through Jesus is saying, in my realm, you don't need these tools anymore. In my realm, you won't need the tool of divorce because all of your relationships will look just like we intended them to look like from the beginning. And this is a common theme for God. Just like God says, you don't need spears and swords anymore. You know what you can do with them? Batter them into plowshares. Instead of using weapons that tear people down and kill things, turn them into things that cultivate life. The same is true here. This is a tool that you need for the time being, but in my kingdom, you won't need it. Why? Because everything is going to be life-giving. All of the brokenness of this world will be repaired. All of the relationships will be what we intended them to be from the get-go. Instead of languishing, you will flourish. Instead of death, you will know resurrection. And we, Jesus, and everyone who follows him dwell in these multiple realities. We live in liminal spaces. We're in that moment of the already but not yet. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and yet 2,000 years later it still hasn't fully arrived. We live in a reality where relationships can be life-giving one day and death-dealing the next. We live in a world as humans filled with law and gospel. We live in these difficult spaces. 
And the struggle, I think, for Jesus today is to lay before us, to lay before the disciples how it is that God's intentions for us don't match our realities today, but to not give up hope, but instead to hear that God's future for us will ensure that those intentions now match what we experience, that there is place and space for forgiveness. There is a place and space for reconciliation. There is a way to move past anger into newness of life and relationship. Today, Moses, in his own sermon in Deuteronomy, in our first reading, lays before the people of Israel a choice. He says either on the one hand you can choose life, where on the other hand, you can choose death. But if you listen to what Moses says, when he describes what it means to choose life, when he describes what it means to choose death, you know what he's talking about? Relationships. Life with God is about a relationship with God. And death in God is about an absence of that relationship. And here's the best news today, is that regardless of whether we choose life or death, God always chooses the former, even when we experience the lack. God always chooses life, even when we experience death. Whether it be the death of a loved one, the death of a ministry, or even the death of a relationship. Because indeed, God walks with us. God guides us, even when we struggle with each other. That's the beauty of it. Relationships are hard. Relationships are messy. Relationships end. And yet, as people of resurrection, we know that in spite of those realities, life is always the final word. So thanks be to God for a creation, a new creation, that throws aside the tools of this life for an eternity in that life. Amen. Amen.